0: chapter 6 this morning. Our text will be found in verses 1 through 9, Exodus chapter 6, 1 through 9. What a wonderful day to be together in the Lord's house. Um, As I was getting ready for church this morning, I realize it's been about 20, 25 years that I've been actually making fun of guys who wear sweater vests. Uh, I'm sorry guys for busting on you. This is a great idea. I'm warm and yet I have like movement at the same time. This is going to be a good day in the house of the Lord this morning. you get a glimpse inside of why it's so difficult for me to do what I do? Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we glean, Lord willing, great truth from the greatest Word that could ever be written, the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are amazed in this time that you've allowed us in your grace to be together, to listen, to learn. Father, please, Speak, illuminate. As your spirit guides us, may we know, Lord, that it's a word from you, not a word from man. I ask for help, that everything that is said and done would be, be for your glory. Lord, I do lift up uh, Craig and Shelly, Schaefer and the kids and the core of people, the believers. We pray also for this man that he would come today to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen and amen. Those of you who maybe just are visiting, just joining us for the very first time, we have been going through the book of Exodus. Um, It is the story of the Israelites in Egyptian slavery or bondage, and God has been raising up a deliverer whose name is Moses, arguably one of the most well-known characters um, in all of the Bible. We concluded it just last week with Moses after his, his first kind of what we call face-to-face meeting with Pharaoh. Um, he did exactly, he told, he asked Pharaoh exactly what God had told him to say. Let my people go. And the meeting did not go well at all. The meeting actually went bad. Have you ever been in a meeting that has gone bad before? I have been in bad meetings. I remember very clearly a time I was, I I think if I recall it it was Heckman and Newman who were with me. It wasn't their fault. They were just with me in the bad meeting. We were meeting over in my office at the old school. We were actually talking with the people who owned this old warehouse. And and we were trying to negotiate a a, a price and they were asking $1.4 million and we were offering $0.4 million. You're a million dollars off. That's recipe for a bad meeting. And what's interesting is that God actually does work even in bad meetings. We, about, what, 10, 12 months later, purchased this very building that you're sitting in this morning for $0.4 million. God does work in bad meetings. After this particular meeting that Moses had with Pharaoh, Pharaoh is mad. He actually increases the workload of the Israelites. As a result, the Israelites are mad. They're complaining to Moses that you've made us stink. And now Moses is, is not mad. He's sad. Chapter five concludes with Moses. And you can, you can almost, like, you can close your eyes and, and envision. He's kind of slumped over. I think he's seated with his back up against the wall. He's got his, his, his head in his hands. And he's asking two questions that we saw at the end of chapter 5 in verse 22. Why? Why have you done this evil? And why did you ever send me? You ever been there before? Why? God, why? Why so difficult? Why so dark? Why so depressing? Why? Why? In this series, Exodus, exit to promise and purpose. I'm sure that you're thinking, like, when are we going to get to the promise part? Like, when are we going to get to the good stuff ever? Today's text, we will see that God responds finally, thankfully, thankfully. But we will note that that God does not tell Moses what Moses wants to know. Instead, God actually tells Moses what Moses needs to know. And there is a great lesson here for all of us, which means what a sovereign God doesn't jump through hoops for anyone. As a matter of fact, God never answers the question that Moses is asking. Why? God does not answer that question. Because that would keep the focus on Moses. Instead, what God actually does is he directs Moses' attention to himself, which ultimately brings the most glory. Think of it. The purpose of Scripture, the role of the Holy Spirit, the goal of the local church, your existence here, your presence on this earth is to bring God glory. We're going to see that in our text, Exodus chapter 6. Pick it up with me in verse 1. Reading from the ESV, the words will be in front of you. You can follow along. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirits and their harsh slavery. Think of Moses sitting in total discouragement. Last week we looked at what? There's times when life stinks. In total desperation, Moses asked, why me? And we have before us this morning the most comforting, the most strengthening words. But the Lord said to Moses, this is the most interesting text. It is, a, it is a declaration, it is a proclamation of sorts. What you will notice from verses 2 through verse 8, in 7 verses, 17 times, you have God referring to himself with the pronoun I. All referring to either A, what God has already done, I appeared, I established, I heard, I remembered... Or B, what God will do. I will take, I will bring, I will be, I will give. Or C, refers to who God is. Which this latter portion is perhaps the most telling. Framing the entire portion that we read in verse 2 and verse 4 and verse 6 with this phrase. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. What do you think the lesson is for you and I this morning? Now I know, I am certain, there is a long, long list of things for you personally to remember every day. Birthdays, anniversaries, You have doctor's appointments to remember, and dentist appointments, and you have practice schedules, and you have recitals, you have home games, and away games. you got to remember to feed the dog, remember to feed the fish, don't forget to feed the kids. We have to buy groceries to feed the kids. Oh shoot, somebody was supposed to pick up the kids. Remember that? You got to remember every single time. Don't forget we we need toilet paper, we need toothpaste. You got to remember to pay the bills, you got to remember to get the oil changed, get the tires rotated every day. I am totally aware that there is a long list of you, things for you and I to remember. This morning we have gathered with the primary purpose a single reason that we have gathered here This morning is to glorify God by directing our attention to the Word of God so that we can learn how to live and love like the people of God. So, what I want to do is help you and encourage you with this. Every single morning, before you swing your feet out of your bed, before they touch the floor. I want you to remember who God is and remember what God has done for you. Every single morning, before your feet hit the floor, you gotta remember who God is and what God has done for you. A thousand years from now, it doesn't matter if you picked up the kids late from practice. A thousand years from now, it doesn't matter if you remembered toothpaste or not. What's going to matter is this truth right here. Just pause for a moment on who God is. God himself is speaking. He said, I I showed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But to you, Moses, it's different this time. I, I revealed my name to you. Remember a couple weeks ago... In that, in that burning bush, that voice from the fire, and God said, you tell them, I am who I am. God is revealing what? Himself is Yahweh. Lord, Jehovah. His name was what? His name was and is his person, his character, his power, his authority, his reputation. Four Hebrew letters. Y-H-W-H. Explain everything. God is self-existence. He's not dependent upon anyone or anything. God is what? Creator and sustainer of everything that exists. God is immutable. He's unchanging. God is eternal. He always was. He always will be. When you and I begin our day remembering who God is, knowing what God has done, you can rest assured that His plan is much better for your life than your plan. We have before us a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we, just like those Israelites, are actually caught in sin and in bondage, therefore we see gospel truth all the way through this text. Number one, we see what? We will see that we need to remember through that God, through the gospel, first and foremost, offers us salvation. I don't know if there's a greater truth in all of Scripture. Look how it's worded in in verse 6, where God is promising what? I will bring you out from under the burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. This is a picture of what? The, The shackles of sin coming off. This is a picture of freedom. That God will free and liberate people from bondage through a mediator in in the Israelites' day whose name is Moses. That, That freedom will be accomplished, what? By grace, through faith. Nothing that the Israelites did, it's everything that God did. This will happen with a purpose. Why? We want to go, we want to worship God Almighty. We're not going to worship anyone else, we're not going to worship anything else. Think of the gospel truths. That exists in this text for you and I this morning. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. For freedom. For freedom. With the purpose of freedom. It says what? Christ has set us free. I wonder if if you live with an understanding that I am, I have been liberated. So that I live in a way that is different than everyone else who is still caught in the bondage of sin. Paul continues on in Galatians, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle with sin. We all do every day. I certainly do. But we know that what ultimately, through what Jesus Christ has done once and forever, he has freed us from the curse of eternal separation from God. And we deserve eternal separation. But when one puts what our faith, our trust in the full finished work of Jesus Christ, our mediator, he promises to forgive us and to free us from the bondage of sin. And he calls us to obey, to live different lives so that we worship, focus, we celebrate on one God, the almighty God. Galatians continues on in chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, the love that Jesus has shown me ought to burn inside of me so that I I have to show that love to others. I don't deserve God's grace and love. Neither do you. And because of that, it it, it actually impacts the way and the words that I speak and the way that we act, that we actually give attention to. We don't just, what, I'll pray for you without stopping to love and to pray specifically. We don't just drive by them, broke down the side of the road. We've all been there before. But we stop. And we show and share our love to others just like Jesus has shown. His love to us. Secondly, we need to remember God through the gospel offers redemption. Look at the latter part of verse 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. It's interesting, the word redeem or redeemed is defined as this. To gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Webster's actually, I think, um, cuts it down in a a more simply way. Defines redemption as this, to free from captivity by payment of ransom. That that is exactly what God has done for us through the work of Jesus Christ. You and I were laden with a debt. That was just too much for us. I could pay on this every single day for the rest of my life. And we had too much debt as a result of our own sin. It's just too much. Think about someone who says, how, how, how much is it? How much is it that you owe? It's, it's more than, it's just, it's just too much. And Jesus says, no, I'll pay it. It's taken care of. Go. But, but I was under this debt. I was under this weight. And God says, no, I'm going to offer my son, Jesus. And through his shed blood, through his dying a death that you, Boger, actually deserved, I will free you forever to live and to show others what it means to love as Jesus loved. Ephesians says it like this in chapter 1, verse 7, In him... In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We get up in the morning, the alarm goes off. I hate the sound of my alarm. I don't know what it is. I hate it. And I even put it on like this cheery, like heavenly chimes. It's beautiful, and I hate it. Especially Friday morning. Sorry, guys. My, it's my earliest day to get up. And yet, yet in my mind, I have all of this long, I've got to remember this, don't forget this. No, no, before, before I remember anything else, before you remember anything else, we remember what God has done for us. Remember the price that was paid for our salvation, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... For our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Isn't that a rather precise, accurate description of our world today? We have been freed, which means we're just kind of like camping. We're tenters moving through to what God has for us. 1882, there was a little tiny short lady, her name was Fanny Crosby, and she was blind, and she, she was a great hymn writer. And she penned these words, that as I remember them this week, I've been singing this song, I won't, I won't do that to you this morning, but all week I've had what? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Which leads us to our third point. Remember this, God through the Gospel offers adoption. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I don't know if there is a better picture of, of salvation. I don't know if there's a better demonstration of redemption than adoption. Think of a child, a little one, helpless. What? There is no home. There is no hope. There is no family. There is no provision. There is no protection. Some of you sitting in this room this morning... Know and understand adoption better than others. Why? Because you've lived it. Because you've experienced it. You experience what Patty Anglin, who wrote Acres of Hope, a book a number of years ago, tells a time about how she had heard of a little boy in war-torn Liberia who had actually been the survivor of a botched Abortion. As a result, he had lost both of his legs, lost most of his fingers, and yet Patty and her husband, Harold, wanted to adopt, they heard of this young boy. And she writes about the very first time she had to get special permission from the from the US government and the, the government in Liberia that was literally in the midst of a war at the time, get permission to travel. She says this and I quote, when we arrived at our meeting point, my heart literally skipped a beat when I realized that within minutes, my precious baby would be in my arms. And then the miracle moment happened. I reached out for the most beautiful baby in the world. As I brought him close to me, our eyes met. It was as if he knew me and I had always known him. She writes, I I thanked our friend who had cared for Tucker the best that he could. Under the stressful conditions of war, Tucker was malnourished. He was dehydrated with a high fever, a bloated stomach, a horrible cough. She says, I started IV fluids on him. We began malaria treatment, administered liquid fever reducer, and then I held him close to me all night. She said, I prayed a lot and left the rest up to the Lord. Do you realize that little Tucker, the result of a, a botched abortion, someone didn't even want him. And then his mutilated body survived in the midst of a war torn place. He was chosen and he was picked. And at great cost, and at great danger, and great expense, someone said, No, I want to go and I want to have him as my own. That's exactly what God is saying that he did for us when he said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord. Oh, no, no, no. We got, we got to run. We got two a days and we got to run to practice and don't forget the list. We have to go to the grocery store and after the grocery. No, no, you do not. Don't forget your kids forever. I'm not saying that. You do have to pick them up. You do need to feed them. But before we remember anything else, we remember that God has actually adopted us. This is not only what God promised to do, but this is what He actually has done for us. That's different than any other religion, faith, or belief system that exists. Read about them. I have studied Islam and tried to learn as best as I can. I've learned and listened to to, uh, what? And read about Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and Catholicism and Taoism and Judaism. Every single faith system says, you must do this, you must do this. And biblical Christianity steps in and says, no, 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 it's not what you must do. It's what God has already done. You accept it by grace through faith. Which brings us fourthly and finally to perhaps what the greatest hope. Remember God through the gospel offers in inheritance. Verse 8, I will give it to you for a possession. Throughout the New Testament we have this idea applied of looking forward to an inheritance. It gives believers hope. It gives us a, a reason to churn through some of the difficult dark days and bad meetings. The Apostle Peter certainly what understood that when he wrote to encourage his fellow believers who were suffering pain and hardship and persecution when he writes in First Peter chapter 1. I learned just this week that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, 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 the German who was what uh, executed for treason against Nazi government, on the very day that he was executed, he actually gathered other believers, other prisoners. The day that he was executed, he gathered together with other believers and the text that they turned to was 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says in verse 4 that what we have in inheritance that is imperishable, that is uncorruptible and unfading. And I love this. Kept in heaven... You. (laughs) Did you ever receive an inheritance? I did. I was 18 years old. My grandma called me in. She was on her deathbed. She already given like a big diamond ring to my to my to my older brother and this beautiful necklace to my sister. And I was like, man, I'm like, man, this is good. But the day that, that that I had called in to Grammy peter's bedside she had she had been laid on her insulin or the diabetes and she wasn't forgive me she's a wonderful woman with the lord but she really wasn't with it that day if you know what i mean come on in timmy i got something for you and she's got it in her hand wasn't making a lot of noise like the like the necklaces that others had got in the diamonds from the rings come here timmy sit here i have something for you so excited she opens up her hand and she places it in mine and she goes, this is for you. Don't spend it all at once. And I was like, oh, Grammy, thank you. And I looked, it was a $1 bill that she always used to put in our, our, our Christmas cards and our happy birthday cards. And I was like, "Wow, well, Grammy, really? Thank you. She died about a week, two weeks later. You know, as the excitement. God has actually something bigger and better for any inheritance that we could ever, ever receive here on this earth. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said it like this, the way that Christians might endure trials, the way that we go through bad meetings, tough mornings. He says, the way Christians might endure trials is by considering the doctrine of glorification, which includes Inheritance. Therefore, when we know what is coming, there's no need for Christians to complain and murmur, despair in light of what we know is coming. Newton goes on to say this. He illustrates, it. think of a man or a woman who was inherited a huge estate worth millions upon millions of dollars, but they had to go to New York City to claim it. But on the journey, uh, your carriage... John Newton's writing, so they had carriages back then. But on the journey, your carriage broke down, leaving you to walk the last mile. Can you imagine saying over and over again, horrible carriage? My carriage is broken! What's the purpose of complaining in disgust when you only have a mile to go to receive millions? Regardless of how tough it is right now, and some of you are facing things that I cannot fully understand and certainly cannot articulate, every one of us remember we only have a few miles to go, we only have a few miles to go, we only have a few miles to go. That is the lesson here. Just like Moses, what? I think... Those listening that we too quickly breeze by who God is and what God has done. And that's exactly what happened. The text actually concludes on a little bit of a dark note. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of the broken spirit and harsh slavery. People in Moses' day are not a whole lot different than people in our day today who still, what, refuse to listen thus reject the gospel. They reject what? The gift of salvation. The gift of redemption. The gift of adoption and the waiting inheritance. Rather than trying to exhaust ourselves with trying to figure everything out. out. Why? Why God? Remember to remember that God is always good to His Word to offer freedom and offer forgiveness, to rescue and redeem. Remember to remember this. There is always something special about knowing something special. You realize that. Foreknowledge brings understanding, understanding brings calm, and calm brings peace, even in the midst of the storm. Remember to remember who God is and what God has done for us. I cannot help but think of the Lord Jesus Christ in a boat that is what? Waves are splashing over and the disciples are terrified. And it says what? And he awoke, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Remember to remember what God has done for you. Father, we love you. We are so undeserving of your goodness and grace. We thank you for the reminder this morning of all that you have offered. Help us, Lord, to live in submissive obedience and to respond in love as you have shown us love. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.